how's this for Japanese efficiency? We're already on episode 005. (laughs) 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 Of A Review to a Kill, which is a look back on the James Bond film franchise presented to you by fanboysanonymous.com. I am your host, as always, Tony Mango. I've got with me Robert D. Felice. Oh, the things I do for fanboys. And I've got with me Callum Wiggins. You only live twice, but this movie can die a million times over. <laughs> now, uh, just to be, you know, get this out of the way, just to be sure. You know, Callum, uh, for a European, you're exceptionally cultivated. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> And if you're Robert DeFelice, by the way, how do you feel about me? <laughs> ah. You're not going to say it. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the journey out will be more dignified than the journey in, I'm sure. Uh, we are talking... Just, like, get the, get the transcripts and you're just reading it off, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to go through the whole film. <laughs> yeah. I, I do have to ask, though, Callum, do you have uh, exceptional hair on your chest? As an Englishman, um, I mean, I I can't speak from too much of so I don't think I have like excessive amounts, but different, you know, uh, Sean Connery levels. But I don't know whether it would be enough to fascinate the Japanese women. <laughs> That's unfortunate. If you can't tell, you're in for a doozy of an episode because <laughs> you only live twice is weird, and we are gonna break down the film in the way that we normally do here. After these past couple episodes, you should know the the deal by now. We're going to talk about the girls, the gadgets, the action, the humor, Bond's allies, Bond himself, the music, the villains, all the other kind of things that go along with this. And we invite you to do the same in the comments below. And uh, just to get these uh, plugs out of the way, what I mean by the comments below is the YouTube video. So if you're over there and you are you know, checking this out and you're listening along, hit the like button if you're enjoying it. That helps out quite a bit with the, uh, the YouTube search algorithm and whatever nonsense Google is figuring out of whether or not you should uh, watch these or not. And there's the uh, the like button, there's the subscribe button, there's the little notification bell. You should check out what we've got going on patreon.com slash fanboysanonymous, especially if you want to uh, help us grow and you want to see more content like this. Even a buck goes a long way, so you know keep that in mind. $10 and up gives you access to the bonus features, which are exclusive to Patreon and eventually on the, uh, the YouTube join button membership, whatever they want to call that thing. It's not really a... The best, like, you know, hey, head us up on Patreon. Hey, do the join membership button on YouTube. They got to figure out a better way to word that. But we are recording this on the 1st of February for context. We are uh, recording these well in advance as we're releasing them. So in case anything changes or whatever, that's just a little bit of notification for that. And, uh, of course, you should be following us on Facebook and Twitter. You should be following us individually on that as well. I am at Tony Mango. Callum is at Wigmeister14. Rob is at Dude Felice. And uh, we'll talk about the pro wrestling stuff and whatever later. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, You Only Live Twice is our target for this edition. It is the fifth Bond film, hence episode 005. It is one of... Austin Powers film, Oh, it is very Austin Powers. This one, maybe more than any other one. Like when we had talked about Goldfinger and Thunderball, it was like, oh, you know, we're getting in more the, into the Austin Powers type stuff. This one's like, let's take that to an 11. And this was one of the ones I was most interested in talking about because it is bonkers. <laughs> and 
anytime I watch it, I go, oh man, I forgot about that line. Oh, I forgot about that line. <laughs> or, you know, uh, before we get into some of the uh, start of this, um, the movie's title is You Only Live Twice. It's one of my favorite titles. We'll get into that in a little bit. But it's not just called You Only Live Twice. It's, you know, different translations from different countries. Just they, they do this for every single Bond film. They do it for pretty much every film. You know, I mean, some things just don't translate quite as well. And there's a running theme of a lot of Bond films where it's like uh, 007 Goldfinger or 007 whatever, just so people know it's a 007 film. Uh, some of the titles in different languages for this one, uh, I found some of them a little bit funny. Some of them aren't really, you know, ha ha ha. But uh, there's, in France, this movie is called One Doesn't Live More Than Twice, which is a little bit of a mouthful. In Latin America, it's It Only Lives Twice. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's a little strange. Uh, in Japan, which you would think that this would be like, let's make sure we get the actual name of the film. It's called 007 Dies Twice. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of like spoiler alert i guess i don't know in germany Which it's correct as well he only dies once right yeah he doesn't die at all but <laughs> yeah, yeah that's true in germany it's one only lives twice okay in norway and greece it's just james bond in japan uh in finley it's you only live twice or no it's you live only twice so they just swapped it around where in finland you said finley um, Fit Finley. <laughs> in Brazil and Portugal, it's with 007, you only live twice. So that's mostly their way of just being like, hey, remember, this is a Bond film. But my favorite of them all, in China, it's called 007 Seized the Rocket Base. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if these movies are all called that. Like if uh, Thunderball was called 007 Goes Swimming for a While. <laughs> And Goldfinger's like, 007's got a bomb to defuse next to lots of gold. <laughs> or 007's uh, villain throws a hat or something. <laughs> I'd love these literal translations like that. And before we get into the start of the film itself, let's talk about uh, what happened before the movie was even made. Because this movie almost didn't get made. Uh, during the location scouting phase a bunch of the production team just happened to miss one of their flights. They were going to be checking out some stuff and they got invited to do this impromptu ninja demonstration and the flight that they were supposed to go on. Everyone on board died 25 minutes after takeoff. Apparently the plane quote unquote disintegrated over Mount Fuji, <laughs> which wow. they were like, yeah, let's check out this ninja thing instead of going on that plane. And then they're like, Oh, <laughs> so that's uh yeah yeah they're now described that as a good fortune it's still like still terrible that all those people died in the plane but i guess they right. were lucky at the very least yeah and this was not even supposed to be the next movie that was in line they were gonna be filming uh on her majesty's secret service which is the next film but that movie's got a lot of skiing sequences and they couldn't really get the locations locked down in time it was like a, like different weather and everything they were still like looking for some areas that they could have filmed or whatever so they're like ah fuck it let's do you only live twice which causes massive continuity issues as you'll see and this is i've never read the books but apparently this is 
pretty different from the book because of yeah. that and because they needed to just add some more characters and everything. They yeah, uh, so again, I have I haven't I haven't like read the books in particular, but from what I've gathered from the side of things, it's it's the first real of these Bond movies which really just takes the semblance and the title and some of the locations from Ian Fleming's original stuff and then just goes, okay, and then we're gonna write our own screenplay. Because funnily enough, the screenplay for this was written by Roald Dahl. Yeah. The guy that wrote all those children's books and stuff like that. <laughs> just, yeah, he also did Bond movies as well. And he didn't really care when he was writing it. He I pretty much uh he was given an outline of like what they had called at that time the Bond formula. And he was like, all right, you got this girl does this, and you got this guy does this, and whatever. And he thought of it as just sort of like, I don't know, like a, a little challenge exercise. And they were like, great, this is a movie. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you know? But like, he added the characters of Osato and Aki and Helga Brandt. In the book, uh, instead of a volcano, it's just some kind of island with all these deadly plants and animals. The villain in it's called Shatterhand, which is a name that they've never used yet, but they probably should because it sounds like a Bond villain name. Like, oh, uh, go to, you know, check out Dr. Shatterhand. Be like, what happened to him? Ah, I fucked up his eye. <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> Where'd you get that name from? We'll talk about it another day. But uh, yeah, this, uh, this movie is weird. So let's just start diving into it. We um, start off with... Once again, uh, a formula that we're going to see going forward that's carbon copied for The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker and Tomorrow Never Dies, where it's uh, we start off with villains stealing something. And it's just like, oh, steal a rocket, you steal a spaceship, you steal a whatever. It's kind of the same sort of thing, but uh, I love the music in the sequence. This is one of my favorite little pieces from the series. It's um. I, I was I was more caught up with the. I mean, I know we mentioned quite a few of these things in Thunderball, but this film, the visuals in this film, go take all the worst elements of the Thunderball thing and just <laughs> turn them up to eleven because, just like the the visual of the rocket swallowing this other rocket and the astronaut being having his tether severed and just flying out into space is just. <laughs> And that was just the tip of the iceberg. It's just one illustration of just an on-running series of really awful camera, like really awful visuals. And I know it's, again, it's 1967, but still, it was it was too hilarious not to mention all this stuff. Credit where it's due, they didn't do the speed up thing. But if you check out like That's the... That's given credit for. Yeah. <laughs> if you check out like the... Um, the visuals for I forget exactly what shot it is. It's before the tether gets cut, but the the astronauts got this like clearly different black background to him that they just didn't composite differently. <laughs> it's part of me wonders if we're getting to a point where they're just like it's we're going towards the seventies and we're we're knee deep in this phenomenon of. Like I was gonna say TV, well, kind of TV, but obviously this is cinema, and they're just getting wacky for the mm -hmm. sake of wacky, because like this is the time period of like you know Adam West is Batman and stuff like that, and it's just kooky for the sake of it. One of my big notes on this that I have uh, asterisked at the top of my notes is this film does things for the sake of doing things, <laughs> and they yeah, just pretty much do. 
thing with that is like I, I know obviously you mentioned the idea about again with Thunderball previously that for me that was like a really good balance between the stuff that you can kind of just see quite this I would say like realistic but has a, your sort of like tangible nature to it and the things which are just stretching the the bounds of being bizarre because it's obviously like major super villainy and this one again just goes so far in the opposite direction <laughs> just goes okay wacky stuff turn that up to 11 try and basically remove as much of the realistic stuff that could potentially happen as possible and just make this a it's almost like a bond superhero movie it feels like to an extent yeah you would think that this would be the movie where he has the uh the jetpack right yeah yeah but we get a the opening is um somebody is stealing a rocket from the united states and like I said, I like the music in this. It's do 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 do. It's one of those just little things that I've I've always liked. And uh, I do like that the astronaut gets his lifeline cut. It's just one of those unnecessarily mean sort of things that happens. <laughs> doesn't look at all realistic. The models are, you know, I mean, today's standards. This doesn't hold up, but it's a different time. And we get into almost immediately. One of those lines that makes you go, oh, God damn it, which is, why do Chinese girls taste different from all other girls? <sighs> yeah, 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 that was, that was uh, an immediate sign to me of like, okay, this is what I'm getting into. With this. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, now I understand no, why Tony's talking about. <laughs> again, this is a great Austin Powers film. <laughs> It seems like that should be a line in an Austin Powers thing, and then it could be like some kind of a gag where he holds up like a one of those little Chinese food containers or something, you know. But yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised they didn't do like a scene in Austin Powers where this is like a lineup of Chinese girls, and he says, "I'll have a number seven and number 14 and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of those. Fuck me and a fuck you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this this seems like it would be a, a direct like. The go-to line in an Austin Powers thing would be like, why do Chinese girls taste different from all the girls? And then some kind of, you know, the the old stereotypical joke of like, after you eat Chinese food, you're always hungry in, in an hour. Like, it could be that kind of thing of like, oh, you know, after I have Ling, I'm going to be hungry for more in an hour, that kind of thing or something. But uh, I don't understand this at all. Ling acts as though she's betraying Bond and that he's not in on this idea of these guys come in, they shoot up the bed that's in the wall and Bond's dead for the third time in the franchise already, <laughs> which you only live twice. He's, this is the third time he's dead. And none of this makes any sense the way that it's executed. Like from Russia with love, you've got the, Oh, okay. Well, it's a training thing and you know, whatever. And Thunderball, the James Bond, the JB a casket. You're like, ah, oh, you got me. All right. Bond's not whatever. That's at least logical. This one throws that all out the window. There is no way this makes any sense. Why would Ling act the way that she does if this is the way that that's supposed to be set up? And they would know that he's not dead. And they use fake bullets and and fake everything. Then why bother? You know, like none of this makes sense. My only theory for this to potentially make sense is that Bond already knows that that hotel room is being watched. And so they have to make it look realistic to have him seem like he's actually being killed because people see that coming and think like, oh, it's just one of his other enemies come in and killed him, so we don't need to worry about him anymore. 
Yeah, if it's bugged, then I'll I'll buy it. But they didn't do a setup enough to be like, okay, make sure that the the bug is on right now, or so you know, like one of those kind of things. No, but they just did it for the shock value side. Yeah. Oh my god, Bond's dead immediately. But then they should have probably read the title of the movie, unless they're in China, and in which case they had no idea what was going on with this. <laughs> then he's like, how come he hasn't seized the rocket base? <laughs> <laughs> How did they get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> yeah, it seems like it was just one of those things to add shock for the audience. And let's face it, Bond was never fond of telling the women he's with, you know, letting them in. The the one guy goes, well, at least he died on the job. He would have wanted it this way. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the funniest jokes. Yeah. <laughs> So we get into the title sequence, Nancy Sinatra's You Only Live Twice. Absolute classic. I One of my favorite ones. I love it. Sinatra's great. Yeah, I, I, I love the song. I, um, <clears throat> the version that I, I listen to, because I, I usually have like a playlist of Bond things that I kind of listen to if I'm working and stuff like that. I just need something to distract me. But the version that I listen to is a lot more... I don't know how to describe it. It's more, more organic than this one. This felt one mm-hmm. in the actual movie feels super cleaned up. And this I didn't is, like it as much. Apparently, the uh, recording that's used in this is a mashup of 25 different recordings. Right. Where she was just like super duper nervous. And, okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. There's, um, I don't think that anybody has ever done a cover version of this that does the song's potential justice. It It's better than what the Nancy Sinatra version is, but I just haven't found a a good enough version. Bjork does a cover that's got like more ethereal elements to it. It's like slower. And... Well, Bjork, you don't say. Yeah. Uh, I I think that this has like a haunting sadness to it. And I love the lyrics too. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, just to read them off real quick, just because it's poetry as it is. It's uh, you only live twice or so it seems one life for yourself and one for your dreams. You drift through the years and life seems tame till one dream appears and love is its name and love is a stranger who'll beckon you on. Don't think of the danger or the stranger is gone. This dream is for you. So pay the price. Make one dream come true. You only live twice. I fucking love that. It's one of my best uh, or one of the favorite uh, lines in any of these songs to me. It's a, yeah, no, it's, it, it is a, it's a very well written one. It doesn't feel like it's out of place, so they've tried to jam in the the title in a, a vain attempt to try and make it seem like it's plausible to be there. Yeah, yeah, we don't have any Thunderball bullshit here. Yeah, it's not like uh, you know, uh, you only live twice, or so it seems. Octopussy, <laughs> sort of like. <laughs> The visuals of this, we've got Japanese women in kimonos. We got volcanoes this time instead yeah. of underwater. It's it's good. It just it just it just sets the scene. It just says in this movie you're going to see a lot of Japanese women and volcanoes, and that's basically what you get. Yeah, not my favorite of the title sequences as far as just like the pure visuals go, but they're getting a little bit more experimental here, and it's it's good. It's it's not like a like the Thunderball one. I think is a little bit underwhelming because it is just people underwater with silhouettes and there's some worse ones in the future and moonraker is not really particularly great but the uh i like it you know i mean they could do better composites and they could do better this better that but for the time i'm sure people were just like this is pretty crazy and uh this song was sampled in a very popular song robbie williams's uh millennium 
Yeah. Which is oh. a great song. Yeah. So the whole do 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 do. A lot of people actually know that more from that song than anything else. This is uh this is very very high up on my my Bond theme list. Um, I don't remember exactly where I've got it on my tier list right now. That's uh. Actually, I didn't do the tier list yet on the on that thing. As far as I can see, I think that it's probably going to be somewhere in the top ten. And I mean, we'll do that eventually. Uh, I've got a a whole doc that I've got going on where eventually at the end of this, when we're in that gap between um, Spectre and No Time to Die, we're going to do the the Austin Powers movies, and we're going to potentially do these like tier list type stuff. But this is definitely up on the the high list for me, and actually no, I've got I currently have it ranked number two from the ones we've got so far. Goldfinger number one. Uh, where am I at? Oh, my notes here. I am at the uh, okay Bond's funeral. Um, they go through this whole song and dance of even having Bond in the mummified coffin sort of get up and needing divers to rescue him and put him in a submarine and all this. Convoluted as all hell, uh, <laughs> you know, really not necessary. Then again, look at what they did to quote unquote kill him. It's a thing. I don't love it. Yeah. I do appreciate Bond asking for permission to come aboard. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good little line. <laughs> and I think that this is the first time he's referred to as Commander, if I remember correctly. Commander James Bond. Maybe, maybe, um, Roald Dahl just didn't know who James Bond was or had never read the books before or anything like that and just assumed that he's a commander. Uh, he's definitely a commander of the books. Okay. But uh, I don't remember if they ever referred to him in the other films, like if Dr. No was like, oh, did you talk to Commander Bond or something like that? But that's his backstory. Uh, for, we don't know too much about Bond's backstory over the course of these books and these movies and everything. It's basically come out that like, originally he wasn't supposed to be Scottish they, and they made him Scottish in the books after Connery did Dr. No, but, uh, he, the backstory essentially of bond is his parents die in what they refer to as a climbing accident. They never really specify what, but they die. And he eventually goes into the military, becomes a commander and then just gets recruited into MI6. That's basically all we know about bond. It's just kind of funny. You'd think that after, decades and decades they'd be like let's flesh out this character more and let's say this guy was a guy that used to train him or whatever like that no it's just sort of like he's a guy all right yeah, we le- established that they don't like to flesh out characters <laughs> yeah that's true and we, and we do learn a bit more about bond here in the fact that he has a first from cambridge in oriental languages which is convenient <laughs> yeah so i don't like this money penny interaction all that much it's my least favorite so far and we we get still a bunch. I wrote down a note of it feels like they're mad at each other because the chemistry isn't there and there's like an animosity. Turns out that's pretty much true. Because uh, Lois Maxwell, when he plays Money Penny, and uh, Bernard Lee, who is M. In the meantime, they had done a spoof film with Connery's younger brother, <laughs> so he was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and Bond. Uh, has this sort of in this movie he doesn't seem like I don't know he's he's having as much fun Connery well they talk about the fact about uh, there's there were production issues behind the scenes basically he was apparently like he didn't talk to um 
uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, the, the main producer. Yeah, he um, pretty much Cohen, refused yeah. to be in this movie uh, and act if he was on set. <laughs> yeah. There's issues where there was a mistranslation where he had he had said something along the lines of when Japanese women wear kimonos, they're not sexy. And that was sort of like a little bit of a mistranslation, a little bit of a you know, just Connery being him. So it was sort of like, well, Bond doesn't uh, like Japanese women. Fuck Bond, you know, that kind of thing. And the people like on the sets and stuff were getting under Connery's skin. At one point, somebody had seen him just dressed up just like a normal guy. Like he wasn't like on set wearing a suit or whatever. And somebody was like, wow, is this what James Bond dresses like? And he was like, no, this is what Sean Connery dresses like. Like he was just sort of like, fuck you. I don't want to be around these people anymore. Not at all into doing the part. And it shows in this kind of scene, uh, even like he tosses the hat. So we got the hat thing and he just goes, hello, Penny. Thank you, ma'am. It's so cold. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's already weird enough in the sense that they're in a submarine and it's basically just a carbon copy of their offices, except it's <laughs> in a submarine instead. <laughs> just that was a bit off putting again for me. That this is one of the more tame things, but it still seems quite bizarre just looking at it. Yeah, this is one of the first of many instances where M has an office in a random ass location, and some of them get pretty fun. <laughs> But he always has a shit ton of books behind him, no matter where we're at, which I find funny. And we get to well, that's what a boss has. They have books. I'm like, at this point, when you when you start getting into like the man with the golden gun, it's gonna be like he couldn't possibly have read all these books. Because there's there's at least no, like two thousand. <laughs> was isn't there one of those things that's going around now, especially like in the Zoom age of things where managers are buying fake stacks of books and things like that just so they can put behind them so it makes it look on zoom call so it makes them look like they're learning wow. and stuff like that when they actually like, don't do that stuff you know oh, yeah that's, i'm not surprised that a very very big thing in decorating that you buy these fake books hey they look classy don't they somebody should just buy a bunch of um what are those uh the books uh for dummies <laughs> just have a whole shelf full of that yellow and black yeah, this is uh, this is not the best one. Uh, there is some decent enough lines that would have been better. Uh, oh, by the way, how was the girl? But then she goes, the Chinese one we fixed you up with. And a few more minutes and I would have found out. Yeah. Uh, I like that the code phrase is, I love you. And Money Penny wants him to repeat it. And he just doesn't. <laughs> it's <laughs> just like, that's kind of a dick move. But like you had said, she tosses him an instant Japanese book to learn. And he's like, oh, you forgot. I took a first in Oriental languages at Cambridge and just tosses it back to her. So we get a little bit. Uh, he's at Cambridge. They do a lot of Oxford stuff in the past with Bond. And eventually in the franchise, we're going to see him bone his teacher at Oxford. <laughs> he's master now. Huh? Professor Inga, Ingra Bergstrom, I think is her name. Very good looking woman. Lois Maxwell seems like she's dubbed here, which is weird. Do you guys catch that with her voice? I think the dubbing in the entire movie is terrible, so it wouldn't yes. surprise me if that's the case. Oh, uh, you want to take a guess who voices uh, Kissy Suzuki? Well, I, I know it's that... Um, <laughs> it's the uh, same one as always. That, yeah. that, that Dutch lady. My name was, I can't remember. But... Nikki Vanderzil. <laughs> that's right. like, Let's call up Nikki. We're doing another movie. Uh, Tanaka's dubbed, too, and... Uh, oddly enough, the actress who plays Helga Brandt is German, 
and they dubbed her in the German film. She's like, why not get her to do it? She's German. Very strange. They just like dubbing. They're they're just very into it. Yeah. They're just like, get Nikki Vanderzell, and they're like, well, the character's the Tiger Tanaka. Get Nikki yeah, Vanderzell. <laughs> Bond's looking old here too. He's aged quite a bit after just a few years. Like he's in considerably better shape in Doctor No. You can tell it in his face, and he's just beaten down, kind of. Yeah, yeah, endless, yeah, he, endless fucking will do that to you. <laughs> you know, just come on, where's that man? <laughs> I guess he looked better in his first life. You got give him a little bit of credit for that one. And this is not the worst that we'll see. Uh, John Connery looking. Because this is not his last Bond film, despite the fact that somebody else comes in the next film. But we move over to our section where it's like, let's meet up a lot of our other characters. And we start off with uh, sumo wrestling. I love the sounds in this one. Uh, the beginning of this, the guy that's, I, I don't know, he's setting up the scene with like the um, sumo wrestlers or whatever. And I have no idea what he says, but the, the noises that he makes are great. He's just like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, what's happening here? I forgot about that. I love that dude's voice. And um, we meet one of his contacts here, one of the primary Bond girls, Aki. I quite like Aki. I enjoy Aki. Yeah, Aki was great. She's uh, she's a pretty girl, of course, because you know they're not gonna like hire some chud. Uh, she's capable. She's smart. I think she's underrated. Actually, she's only far from the best Bond girl, but I don't think she gets any credit. And that's a shame. Nobody ever really like brings her up, and she's far better than Kissy Suzuki, I think. No, yeah, she she rescues Bond in multiple occasions throughout the movie. She clearly shows elements of intelligence. She like tricks him in like tricks him in a in a good way, in which case she doesn't actually put him in any sort of danger, but she tricks him into following her and manages to get him in front of Tanaka that way. Yeah, so she's clearly a more intelligent and and a capable character. And I feel that, well, it, it, achieving the thing where we'll talk about later on with her, her demise, it actually makes you feel sorry for her, which I guess is the thing that you want to feel at the end of that. Yeah, it was a, by the time she dies, you just end up feeling like, oh, that could have been a decent ending for Bond or like a decent Bond girl for him to have throughout the movie. But yeah. And a little bit of trivia, um, we'll talk about Kissy Suzuki later, but they swapped roles. Uh, they were cast as the opposite parts, and the woman who plays Aki, Akiko is her name, uh, that's the reason why it's uh, the character's name's Aki, because she was just like, hey, why, why isn't it just Aki? And they're like, all right, because uh, the character in the book is just one character named uh, just Suki, so that's how they got Aki and then Kissy Suzuki and they had originally swapped the parts and they said uh crap she can't speak English as well so let's give the other role to the other one because she could she could do better with uh more dialogue and uh Miyahama was struggling more so they were just like you could be Kissy Suzuki then and she was in a situation where she thought that she didn't get the job because of that and went into like this horrible depression. They were like, no, you could be Kissy Suzuki instead or whatever. And it was like this whole weird kind of scenario where 
it would have been uh, I don't know a different kind of setup if uh, things would have gone a little bit differently. I think they they had said something in the commentary about like they spent twelve weeks trying to learn English or something. And you know, I, overall, I mean, we could tell that they're dubbed, but I think that at the very least, Aki, I think that it's pulled off pretty well. Yeah, oh, my notes yeah. here. Go ahead. I mean, you can just you can tell that she clear. It's not clear her first language, but then again, it's not supposed to be. So it's yeah. fine. She wasn't. It's not like she's un, not like completely un, like misunderstandable or anything like that. You can tell what everything she's saying. So. Yeah, her mouth matches up with what she's saying. It's it's not like, wow, this is you're just speaking another language and we're just pretending like it's something else or whatever. And we get Mr. Henderson, the character that's in the story as Ditko Henderson. Uh, the actor Charles Gray is going to pop up again later in this franchise in another role that is mind-bendingly stupid. We'll come back to this. <laughs> Okay, well, hopefully it's at least a little bit more prominent than this one, which was essentially he just talks to Bond for a little while, fucks up his drink by giving him a stirred martini yeah. rather than a shaken one, and then just dies by having a um, a knife stabbed in his back through a paper wall. Uh, his next appearance is far worse. Far worse. There's no comparison. That's... Jesus. And, yeah, if the three things you can take away from this scene is... He gets whacked in his fake leg with his cane. He says, oh, it's stirred, not shaken, right? And he gets that weird knife in the back. And it's still like, damn, it's a shame that he came back and did the other part. We'll get to that when we get to Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, I, uh, that's the one I'm most excited for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're on, we're on a uh, trip for these next couple of Bond films. Uh. I like, though, that he he's a British agent that's been living in Japan for a while, and the way that they've set up his living quarters is kind of like a combo of different uh, design elements. It's a nice little touch. Bond pretends to be the assassin by changing clothes and acting injured to get into the car, which fucking works. <laughs> he's just like, oh, uh, and the guy's like, all right, let's go back to Osado Chemical. Can, can we mention who the driver is? Yeah, the, uh, the fight sequence. Um, so you've yep. looked it up, obviously. Yeah, Rob, I, I, did you look it up, Rob? I did not. All right. Oh. Guess guess who he fights in this. You you recognize him. I didn't. Am I going to feel stupid for not recognizing him? I mean, you to might. be fair, I don't know if Rob's really watched this guy in too close a detail. He's, he's, right. a, he's a familiar name, but it might not be so easy to decipher on the eye. He's... Let's say he's the grandfather of one of the world's most famous movie stars right now. Huh. You got a guess? Uh, it's, it's Samoan? High Chief Samoan. Peter Maivia. Oh, fuck. Yep. That wow. was, that was, that was, I, I looked that up and just went, oh my God, it's High Chief Peter Maivia. Yeah. Like, I looked at it for, Oh, maybe he's a wrestler because obviously they have had wrestlers yeah. in this thing in the past and stuff like that. So I thought I'd check it out. The fact that it is just Peter Maivia, like he got in the movies before Bond did, no, but for for The Rock, obviously. How is he not genetic? Obviously, yeah, it's just one of those weird things, and they pay no attention to it in like the commentary track, for instance, on the the Blu-rays. They're like, oh, we got this great wrestler. He he's a big uh, hulking kind of guy. Uh, very good, you know. He's great in the the scene. And it's like, Hall of Famer. it's like, he's the rock's great. <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of like, 
yeah, yeah uh, obviously not he's like uh well i guess yeah obviously he's the rock's like maternal grandfather and stuff like that so it's not like so but yeah it's just it's just really really bizarre to me that they wouldn't bring that wouldn't be too much more of a detail and stuff like that like the rock wouldn't like the rock's never talked about it as far as i'm aware, yeah. anything like that or or highlight that sort of thing it's like his grandfather was in was in a bond movie yeah like, maybe he doesn't know how has he not been in a Bond film and somebody else has, <laughs> but, like, not him? It's just one of those weird little bits of trivia that, like, makes you go, wow, the Bond franchise is weird. But it's a good That's little awesome. uh, action sequence. I like it. You know, he's dodging the sword and all. He breaks a statue, like, which gets called back later on. But I dig it. It's not the best, but yeah, that it's good. Was good. That, that was a good fight scene. What? Oh, wow. <laughs> you just watching the scene now? <laughs> no, I just keep going. <laughs> uh, he takes a gulp of Siamese vodka at some point. He's like, "Ugh, Siamese vodka." <laughs> yeah, more racism. Yeah, because you got to throw that in there. And he just happens to have this handy little gadget on him, despite the fact that the thing with Henderson was not planned at all, or whatever. But that he can crack a safe. Uh, totally inconvenient. That as soon as he opens it up, the alarm goes off. <laughs> Yeah, so, that, that's like the worst kind of uh, safe cracking device. Yeah. But, you know, good enough, whatever. And um, I like that later on, uh, well, we'll get to it. I'll, I'll skip until we get to it later. But yeah. Bond gets uh, saved by Aki. They drive away. Uh, but it's, you know, I mean, this is weird. Uh, this is the only film in the franchise where Bond doesn't drive a car. Maybe he doesn't like driving on that side of the road. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but also, uh, Akiko doesn't drive the car. Uh, she couldn't drive. <laughs> so <laughs> all the scenes of the cars and everything, except for like the shots that are clearly just like a you know, rear projection kind of thing, yeah. are uh, a guy in a wig. <laughs> That'd be a guy in a wig. They couldn't just get a woman to drive a car. A woman, please. It's the way that they are with these. <laughs> and this is a Bond film. On top of that, this car wasn't a convertible, and Sean Connery is too tall for uh, to be able to sit in it, so they had to make it a convertible. <laughs> so this is just all over the place, fucking weird. It's a mess. Yeah, it's again. There, it's, there's so many elements of this movie that are interesting as all hell, and. For some reason, she sets up Bond with this trap door, which I don't understand. It's basically just so Tiger Tanaka can be like, ha ha ha. <laughs> like, you're, you know that this is your contact and whatever, and why not just be like, right, go to meet Tiger and whatever. But she has to play this little cat and mouse game, and Bond falls through this little trap door, which is very Austin Powers. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I, I think it's like the idea that Tanaka feels like he's like he's playing games with Bond in terms of like outsmarting him and stuff like that. Maybe just like that's his own weird sense of humor. Yeah. In the same way that Bond basically emasculates every person that he tries to come across <laughs> and now he's being emasculated by Tanaka. Yeah. I'm here for it. You know what the most the most um, bizarre thing was like the close up shots of Bond's face going down the mm-hmm. trap door was just again, it's some of the worst cinematography in the entire franchise. Yeah, it's real bad. Obviously, of course, Connery didn't do like the full stunt, and they were just you know swapping it with uh, Bob Simmons or whatever. But uh, it they could have done we'll that talk about so more much about better. The stunt work later. 
so later on, uh, we get some more with uh, Tiger, and uh, they have a little thing that I think is is another one of those uh, Bond's a dick kind of moments, where he gives, he's like, you know, would you rather have a vodka martini or, or sake? And he's like, oh, I like sake, especially when it's served at the correct temperature, 98.4 degrees, which is <laughs> like... Well, what a fucking dork! Yeah, <laughs> toot toot, Mister Bond. You know, fucking wow. So You're really gonna go through that effort? You know. So can I talk a little bit about this? Because I did a little bit of extra research into Bond's drinking habits in the books, particularly. Yeah. And um, so in the actual book of You Only Live Twice, Bond only consumes sake as the only alcoholic beverage outside of one a pint of Jack Daniels is the other thing that he drinks huh. in the books. Uh, but everything else he drinks is sake. So overall Bond, and, and this is the only book as well where Bond drinks sake. Uh, overall Bond drinks, in, in the entirety of the series, which I guess is, again, just this one book, he drinks 35 glasses of sake. In the Jesus. Book, <laughs> uh, making it the second most consumed beverage in the entire book series for him, behind bourbon whiskey. Um in comparison, hmm. uh, Bond only has uh, 19 vodka martinis in the books overall. That's so weird. Wow. Yeah. And actually, when you combine both the movies and the and the books together to like so it's his most popular overall drink, it's actually champagne. He drinks more champagne than any other. That makes uh, sense. Beverage. Yeah. There's plenty of champagne scenes, like the world's not enough and everything, but... I think it was like he drank. He's drunk. He drinks thirty-five glasses of champagne in the movies and thirty glasses in the um in the books. Was it thirty-five uh, things of sake? No, 30, uh, yeah, it was thirty-five sakis in the book in that one book. Yeah, wow, man, that's amazing. Just getting loaded in Japan. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I recall like somebody saying to me once that there's a, a line in one of the um, Bond books. I can't remember which one in particular, but it's it's the, one of the lines starts off with uh, Bond lit his 80th cigarette of the day. Jesus, no wonder. <laughs> they do at some point in uh, Die Another Day. They go, uh, they they check Bond out for like um like a physical, and they're like, hey, his liver's not so good. <laughs> so, yeah. oh man. But uh, so Tiger goes from this whole thing. They're checking out the micro dot or whatever. Yeah, there's nothing that I think that there's really too much to talk about on this one. We got to get to the bathhouse scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is where we get into some real bad shit yeah I got yeah. so many notes to run down on this starting off with Tiger says for tonight consider my house yours including my possessions and it cuts right to a group of women servants and bra and panties yeah just like they're just items come on guys <laughs> like, <laughs> you're literally yeah. referring to them as your possessions <laughs> mm-hmm and he says, rule number one is never do anything for yourself when someone else can do it for you. And rule number two is in Japan, men always come first, women come second. I was surprised that didn't come back as a line later where Bond would say, um, where, where Bond would be with one of the girls and would just say, I thought in Japan men come first. And then it's just like a line about, haha, he made her come. That's like, that's, right. that's the No, no, that's, that's, uh, that's peak Austin Powers, though. Come on. It's the yeah. whole uh, men always come first, women come second, if at all. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then um, upon, after after he says that as well, in Japan, men come first, women come second, Bond replies with, I might just retire here. <laughs> and uh, he starts setting up this idea that they're going to bathe him. And he's like, I like the plumbing. Uh, 
Tanaka says, your English girls would never perform this service. Miss Moneypenny, perhaps. <laughs> so well, it's like the whole, that's the secretary yeah, can bathe you. Yeah, it's just the idea that Bond says, um, well, I'm sure some would be compliant and stuff like that. It's just like, uh, he's got a magic penis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's all, it's all, it's all fucking insanely toxic now. <laughs> Every like, line of the scene is bad. Yeah. Like the bathroom fascinated by his chest here. Bond makes a proverb saying about how birds don't make nests in bear trees. Yeah. Japanese men have beautiful bear skin. But but honestly, the best line, and it's just like it's just such a throwaway line. Just that he <laughs> like he points out one of the girls. I know to, which one like, you're gonna go massage for. and just goes, Oh, she is very sexiful. <laughs> he did say something. I thought he said sensible. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, he had to say sensible, sensual. He did say sexful. Yeah, pick your Jesus massage, girl. And it, so, that one, no, good choice. So She's funny. very sexiful. That is so, that is so ridiculous. Top, top 10 Bond quote of all time. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. is very sexiful. Oh, it's a parody of itself at this point. It's so bad. All of it is so bad. And eventually, Aki takes over for the masseuse because she just wants to fuck Bond already, despite their interactions not being in the slightest bit romantic, more like adversarial than anything. Well, she's fascinated by the chest hair. So. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, no wonder why. You know, she's uh, she's a bird. She needs a nest. That kind of thing. Yeah. And Come on, Tony. You don't like a good happy ending. He uh, <laughs> he he just goes. Aki, like, oh, no wonder you're here. And she goes, no one will disturb you tonight. I think I will enjoy very much serving under you. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) I fucking love this franchise. It's so fucking batshit ridiculous. Uh, imagine, imagine like not knowing this franchise and this is the first movie you come across in 2021 uh, for it just like oh i know again we have to put it in context it's 1967 people are like this but come on man it's ridiculous yeah. it's, it's so over the top it's like oh my god we're going to film a movie in japan let's get every single racist stereotype we could possibly think about the japanese and put it into one movie yeah like so ahead of time before watching this film when we were talking about it, both these guys were like, oh, he doesn't do things like with his eyes and stuff. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> we'll get into yeah, that a little yeah, bit later we'll, on. Too. We'll, we'll get that, yeah, yeah. They had a checklist and they were just like, let's just do that and that and that. And they fucking did it all. It's, well, again, if we're going to talk about the context of the time, there are plenty of like children's cartoons that are just like, haha, the Japs. Right, like we are Siamese, if you please, and yeah, stuff. Really. And, uh, oh, like, yeah, not like, like we haven't even mentioned about Mickey Rooney or something like that. Yeah, with the like um Breakfast at Tiffany's, it's like that. That I was far more egregious than what we'll end up seeing with the Bond side of things, but it's just yeah, it's very much of the time. So I can't hurt, hit hate on it too much for that reason. I can just hate on it <laughs> in some context though, because it's just awful. Yeah, this is this is like it. Like, this is a movie that fills every single one of its 54 years. Yeah. I don't even know if this would have been, like, I mean, like, yeah, at the time, this was a lot more uh, PC acceptable, at least then. But even, like, by the time you get to the Roger Moore films, there's a certain level of just, like, oh, that's got to be bad by then. Like, you know, a couple of years after this, it's got to be bad. 
But there are some good elements to the movie. Like, I like that Bond fucks up by looking at the statue that had gotten smashed, realizing that it had been fixed. So it totally gives away that he was the guy from the previous night. It's a good little moment in an otherwise problematic movie. And we're introduced to two of the uh, main villains, uh, Osato and Helga Brandt, which uh, Helga Brandt is a poor man's Fiona Volpe. She's so bad. Like she is she's the worst kind of femme fatale, which is someone who basically you get no character driven reason for whether whether she's good or bad or anything along those lines. It's like I, I just don't I don't get what her character is or you don't know anything about her background or you don't know what she's doing with Bond. Like the interactions have with Bond is just ridiculous in this entire thing. Not yeah, I wasn't a fan at all. She's literally a copycat Fiona, just not as good. She's not as beautiful. She's not as badass. She's not as interesting. She's got the red hair. She has the scene with Bond of, like, we're going to do this back and forth and I'm going to sleep with you, but it's just because I want to get to you kind of thing. Fiona had the whole uh, motorcycle and killing the villain thing. She's got the plane. Like We need to talk about all of that because it's all... Yeah, bad. but we're going to get to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, get, we'll get to it because I need to run that down really badly. Osato, I don't mind all that much. He's just kind of just the businessman kind of character. I mean, I, I do love the trope of the fact that Bond's in this place and it's obvious that uh, the people that have seen this Mr. Fisher, because he's taken on the pseudonym of Mr. Fisher, they know he's James Bond or they mm-hmm. know he's like a spy. Or they don't know he's James Bond, but they know he's a like he's spying on them. And Bond knows that he that and Bond knows that they know that he's obviously not on the level as well, and yet they still go through this routine of saying, yeah. "Oh yeah, I want to buy these manufacturing uh, chemicals and stuff like that." And it's just, yeah, we we all know that you you all dislike each other, and yet you're still trying to play this game anyway. There's a good little part though where he's looking through the an X-ray and he sees that Bond's got the his gun, and he's like, "I think you're taking a risk right now well, by smoking." It's bad for your chest. And Helka comes up. Mr. Osato believes in a healthy chest. Just a needless boob joke. Yeah. Uh, Osato gives the orders to kill Bond. And this is one of the most ridiculous things. He's leaving the front of the fucking building. And these two guys slowly drive up. And what is a goddamn machine gun? What are you going to do? Mow the guy down in front of your legitimate business? It's more that it's just like they're stalking him. This car is going one mile an hour behind yeah. Bond walking there with a machine gun pointing straight out of the window. Yeah. It's, just like, it's just like so Bond doesn't recognize it. Aki turns up, like tells it to get down or whatever, and then they decide, oh, okay, I guess we can't just follow him down the road for about 10 miles forever while he's just walking and find a, a quiet place to actually mm-hmm. mow him down. Now I've just got to start shooting. <clears throat> it's just so bad. It's terrible. Awful. I mean, the car chase at least is good. It's a bit over the top, but at least it's good. Uh, it gets over the top when you bring in a helicopter that can pick up the bad guy's car with a giant magnet. <laughs> yeah, that that was the over the top part. <laughs> I, I thought that one was a bit more. That one was a bit more just fun. I thought. Uh, I, the only thing that happened in this movie, I'd be totally fine with it, but it obviously it wasn't. It's been a while since I've seen You Only Live Twice, and I completely forgot about the machine gun thing and i was just like god this is terrible that's like real bad billion. like that this is a really big group of the net villains that we're going to be talking about in this entire movie 
<laughs> I wonder though if that's because in their mind they're like the Jets are stupid. <laughs> it might be because they're really just not treating them well in this film. Um, they go to the docks. Uh, immediately at the dock sequence, it, it kicks off another action sequence. It's, it's kind of silly in some ways, but there's this good aerial shot of Bond on the roof fighting with people. With a can- it's like Street Fighter. So he's coming through wave and wave of Japanese yeah. like henchmen and stuff like that. I'm just, I have to talk about this a little bit because just how bizarre it is. Because they get to the docks and they're surrounded by villains and stuff like that. And so they run up the stairs. One of the villains follows him up. One of the henchmen follows him up. And then they're just standing there for about 30 minutes, 30 seconds to a minute or whatever. None of the other people are coming up. Like There was about two dozen people down there chasing down Bond. Only one of them comes up. And then he kills another person that's already up there. So they're, they're allowed to like just stand around there, wait for Aki to get out of the way and stuff like that. Before all the other 24 people say, oh, maybe we should actually go up there and chase Bond and <laughs> like get hold of it. It was, just, it was just so ridiculous. And it turns into a kendo stick match. <laughs> He's got a bamboo stick. The, yeah. The action scenes in this film, I'm torn between are terrible and are fucking brilliant because they're <laughs> so obnoxiously over the top. One of the... Go ahead. I was, uh, one thing that is brilliant is when Bond's jumping off the roofs into things like falling into different crates obviously you know it's stuntmen but the brilliant shot is the one where the stuntman falls onto the crate dives slightly below the crate and then sean connery sticks up and he's just like okay so you did that in one camera shot so it's that's pretty cool it's just like okay so clearly sean connery didn't do that dive but you made it look like it was sean connery the best you possibly could do so i appreciate that so that dive when they did that uh the stuntman accidentally ripped his pants and he had red underwear on and there were all these people watching the scene and they thought that he just like busted his ass and started bleeding <laughs> so they were all just like oh my god like what happened whatever and he's just sort of like what the hell are you looking at <laughs> you know, and they're like uh you know you kind of have your ass showing <laughs> yeah. One of those weird things that happens bond gets knocked out he gets set up with uh helga and there's just no charm to this scene compared to when he was with fiona yeah, I, I need to kind of like do almost just break this down bit by bit. So, so Brant has Bond tied up by the henchman in the cabin. Threatens Bond to tell her like who he's working for, or she'll cut away his skin. Then she just immediately starts kissing him. Just like not not real anything towards it. Just starts kissing him immediately. So he not she knows he's a spy. Bond tells her that he'll split the money he'll earn, obviously fake money, by selling Asato's process for creating MSG. If she's getting back to Tokyo and then they can escape. Uh Brantley seems stupid enough to believe this, so she cuts Bond free and like again, just he uses the knife to cut away her dress and stuff yeah. like that. And then it's just like, okay. And then they get in the plane afterwards and Brant's that's gonna say, Oh, she's the act- she's actually a femme fatale, she's more intelligent than Bond by making Bond believe that this is gonna happen, but she's actually gonna have him die by falling out of a plane. And then they essentially lock his hands down with a fucking wooden board yeah <laughs> metal exists in this thing it's used quite liberally in this franchise so bond can get one of his arms free and judo chop it apart <laughs> <laughs> they're japanese you see they're stupid <laughs> like... she's not japanese so it's like i just don't understand about the i just don't understand why would 
Like in the in the villain's mind, why would you use wooden planks in this situation? Well, why, why wouldn't do, you? Why does she? Why is she in the plane already wearing her parachute as if that's not suspicious? Yeah. And also just like Bond is able to get control of the plane, land it totally fine without any landing gear or anything like that in the middle of a road, and then jumps out and it immediately <laughs> explodes. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Oh, it, it it touched something. You know how this uh, these things yeah. work. Yeah, we've we've seen plenty of cars happened. that go slightly off road and immediately combust. It's one of those things that like these like these uh, vehicles always have to combust on contact, but only the second that Bond stops contacting them as well. It's just like so Bond stops touching, it's touching another surface, it explodes. That's kind of the formula that we have here. <laughs> So the uh, one of the lines in this, the best line in this whole sequence is of oh, the things I do for uh, uh, why am I blanking on that? Yeah, Franklin. <laughs> why don't I couldn't think of the name of the freaking country? Yeah, the place I'm uh, <laughs> the, the things I do for England was a line that was apparently originally shot for Thunderball. Again, proving that this is just let's do Fiona again. But they cut the line and they just reused it here. I really just don't like Helga Brandt all that much. I, I do have to say, because Callum was talking about the lack of any chemistry or anything there, they explained to you in the last film, his days of asking are over. So he, <laughs> of course, he just cut her dress and like, let's go. But, yeah, everything that was good about Thunderball and the character development there, we get none of that here. And it's just, I think this is honestly a propaganda piece, but hey, can we just... Talk about Japanese people being stupid. <laughs> I, I really do. Like, there's a lot of that at this time, and it just seems like that's all this film was. And we get the Bond says that we need to send for little Nelly and make sure that her father comes. Who is her mm-hmm. father? Who's little Nelly? It's Q. He's back yeah, with a fucking right. mini helicopter. <laughs> Yeah, we were like fucking pit crew that comes up and assembles this mini helicopter. This mini helicopter is just like, I know that in the previous movie we had those little like scuba diving things where you had like these jet propelled things. But that feels like it's something that could be created and serve a purpose. Bond is in this little tiny baby helicopter, which Tanaka says is like a kid's helicopter. As if you'd ever let a kid in a helicopter anyway. Like, yeah. Like a helicopter anyway, but still... But it's like it's got all these weapons on it, which I assume you'll describe in a little while. But Bond gets in it, and he's still—he's not wearing any sort of protective outfit or gear. He's not wearing an oxygen. He's mask. got a helmet. He's not even wearing a <laughs> fucking seatbelt, and he's in this fucking helicopter going a million miles an hour through the the sky and stuff like that. It's just—it's too much. It is too much, even for Bond. It would be too much for a fucking Austin Powers movie. And it's kind of real. <laughs> I know it's I know it's a real helicopter. It's what's weird just, about it. But it's I'm just, just I, ridiculous. I yeah, I don't I, I don't claim that it's like it's definitely not a, a real helicopter. It's obviously a real helicopter. The issue with it is the case that why would somebody who's actually trying to use it to for some sort of military purposes or for spying purposes use something which is one that loud, two <laughs> that yellow, and three <laughs> that small and completely exposed to the air. <laughs> so it's, I love that they start it too by just somebody has to like ram the uh, propeller, <laughs> chop their arm off in the process. Right? Yeah, that's dangerous as all hell. Q couldn't figure out a fucking button for it, you know. Mm. 
But this has two machine guns, two rocket launchers, uh, heat-seeking missiles, flamethrowers, smoke ejectors, aerial mines. <laughs> Couldn't possibly fit in this little thing, but okay. And uh, we get the return of the song 007 from From Rush With Love that I hate. That which is like, okay, we're just getting flat out ridiculous. And they filmed all this stuff over Scotland, I think, because they just couldn't yeah. find like good enough spots for uh, to be able to film and do this the right way. Oh yeah, that was that was another part about the um the earlier thing with Bran in the plane. You just like you see her going down in the um the parachute again. There's a really uh, another awful camera angle <laughs> shot with that as well. But um, but the other thing is that when she's going down, it's clearly over a village in England. That's clearly not Japan that they're filming yeah. over. So it's just. <laughs> A lot of this stuff with this aerial sequence is bad, too. The shots of the helicopters blowing up is, like, they're just kind of floating. Yeah. Yeah. They blow up. One helicopter decides to conveniently stand still in the middle of the thing so the aerial mines can land on top of it. Yeah. (laughs) Here's the problem, though. If they wouldn't have attacked him, he wouldn't have any idea that he was onto something. Because he's like, oh, just volcanoes. And then they attack him, and he's like, oh, well, maybe there's something here. Yeah, like I said, the villains are so unbelievably inept in this entire movie. It's like bizarre how bad they are in this one. Especially because Thunderball, they actually show some signs of intelligence. And even Goldfinger as well, obviously, with Goldfinger and um, oh, uh, Oddjob, they feel like, they feel like in, in certain ways, threats to Bond. Whereas this one, they just like, none of these villains feel like they're any sort of threat to him, including the main one, which we will talk about. <laughs> How does this rank to you, Rob, on the uh, the action sequence scale? Because this is one of those things that they were... This is like one of the big selling points of this movie. And I laugh at it all the time. <laughs> so it's... Like I said, I like the action in this film. This feels like... You, you ever watch... Maybe you get caught up on like the El Rey Network or something and they're showing like a really badly dubbed Japanese film. And there's just... A lot of this action, a lot of this silliness, but it's so bad it's good because you're just able to look at it like that. Now, I'm sure they looked at this in, what is it, 67? And they're like, oh, this is great. This is peak cinema, and Bond just keeps getting better, and he's outsmarting these Japs. I, I, the more we <laughs> talk, the more I'm convinced that that's what this is. Ha <laughs> ha! He's that smart in the jazz. Like, oh, they're, they're fucking stupid. Look at them. Look at how stupid they are. We would never be that stupid. We have chest hair. <laughs> so it's time for the Russians to have their shit stolen. We get the good space music again. And uh, if you thought it was neat that Spectre has a secret compartment in the wall that Largo can access for a conference room, hold on to your butts because we're going to go completely off the rails with a goddamn hollowed out volcano. <laughs> This set, here's some notes on this set. Uh, I'll, I'll read the, the thing itself instead of trying to redo it in my own ways. Uh, Ken Adams, who's uh, the guy who did most of these sets. Ken Adams does a lot of great work on this franchise. They made this in Pinewood Studios, the, the Bond set essentially there. It consisted of a moving helicopter platform, a working monorail system, a launch pad, and a full-scale rocket mock-up, mock-up that could simulate liftoff, 700 metric tons of structural steel, 200 miles of tubular steel, 
Adam once said that the set used more steel than was used for the London Hilton Hotel. Uh, 200 metric tons of plaster, 500,000 tubular couplings, 8,000 railway ties, 250,000 square yards of canvas just to protect it from the weather. It cost over a million dollars for this set. Hell of a set, though. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great looking set. It's it's really, really, really over the top. But I guess they tried to uh, to make the most of it. Yeah, um, I enjoy. When when you get to this point, you might as well enjoy over the top. And this is a phenomenal looking set. This is one of the best sets I think in the whole evil lair type of thing. And if this is very Austin Powers, like the whole hollowed out volcano type thing comes up in those movies. So again, they looked at you only live twice and they're like, we got to go with that one <laughs> for a lot of this. It's a friggin' volcano. And we get the return of Dr. Evil, AKA Ernst Stavro Blofeld, who no longer has his awesome voice. He's no longer number two and all that. He's a new actor, Donald Pleasance. Later on, we'll see a little bit more of him, but uh, he talks about how his piranhas can strip a man to the bone in 30 seconds. Might need a quicker, more efficient piranha if that poisons just a couple seconds and it's not good enough, right? (laughs) Well, that's different. You can't. The piranhas need time. (laughs) The poison should be quick. He says, uh, Walter PPK, we only one man we know uses such a gun, despite how in the previous films it was standard issue that everybody needed to carry. <laughs> well, he's the only guy that still does it. I guess so. Everybody else went to a different gun, I guess. But they kill off Helga Brandt, where she falls in the trap door. The second trap uh, walkway in this film, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film has this line in it, this organization does not tolerate failure. And she falls into the prana pit. And it's like, no, there you go. Fuck you. You're dead. Yep. And we've got a terrible line reading of kill Bond now. <laughs> this, Awful. this guy is just this. That is, that is fantastic. Come on. <laughs> That's everything we need from just a, a bad, bad dub. This is supposed to be Bond's most intimidating villain. But mm-hmm. the guy that's head of the organization that he's been battling for most of this entire film's franchise so far. Oh, we'll talk more about him when we actually see him in person, but it's just, it's, it, it doesn't feel the same as it did in, from with Russia in, uh, from Russia with love. Yeah, it's, it's bad. <laughs> really bad. I do like the piranhas. Uh, it, well, it's, it's built on the sharks. You might as well carry on with the, the aquatic uh, killing machines. Yeah. You know, Blofeld's got a, a cat, but he he likes other animals too, I guess. <laughs> you know, we talk about that cat later on too. Remind me to bring up the cat with the uh, the sequence at the end, if I don't, because I don't think I have a note about that. But um, we go to Tanaka's fortress. Did you think that we were done with the casual racism? Nope, uh-huh. we're going to his secret ninja training school. <laughs> uh, I I made fun of the sumo guy earlier, but. My favorite sound effect in this film is the the one ninja who's training, and he goes da hu da hu da hu da hu da. 
<laughs> when I first saw this movie, when I was like, I don't know, maybe like 11 or something, I busted out laughing so fucking hard at that because I'm like, what is this guy saying? Dahu, 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 dahu. But it's the way he says it that just every time I fucking hear it, I laugh because it's just, I'm, you know, you're hearing like this other guy's like, you know, cutting up like a, a scarecrow looking thing and he's just like, yeah, you know, whatever. And you're like, okay, yeah, ninjas. And other people are like, you know, like, yeah, uh, whatever. And then there was this, no, 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 no. Jeez, you couldn't have done another take of this. <laughs> so there we get to see all the typical stuff you would see in a uh, an ninja training school, like sting, like kendo sticks and like uh, katanas and shurikens and rocket guns. <laughs> well, the the modern ninjas, <laughs> as they call them, they use guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Tanaka's got a cigarette gun, and uh, he says, this cigarette could save your life. And Bond goes, you sound like a commercial. Which, by the way, is self-referential, because the rocket pistol and the cigarette gun were real fucking things that somebody else wanted to be featured in the movie, hoping that it would then become, like, standard spy gear. This is actually product placement. (laughs) That's awesome that's why he says these sound like a commercial because they're just paying for part of the film by being like look at the cigarette gun that's a thing maybe like the nsa wants that huh (laughs) yeah but to have extra special cover for whatever reason which makes no sense at all to me bond needs to pretend to take a wife and he's like oh okay aki and talaka's like nah for some reason, I don't know why. He has to, ha- has to be one of the island girls. He has to marry somebody else who apparently has a face like a pig. Oh. Which is just, God. Yeah. Uh. And it, as if that's not bad enough, he goes, but first you must become Japanese. And they no, do it by. Like, it's like you must become a Japanese. Yeah, <laughs> become a Japanese. They. Pretend to dye his skin and give him a toupee and they fuck up his eyes. He doesn't look Japanese at all. He's goddamn Sean Connery. <laughs> no way in yeah, hell this, does this fool anyone. He towers well, over six, people. Yeah, uh, this six foot plus guy is just like <laughs> it's yeah, it's like it's clearly Sean Connery in a Beatles wig. <laughs> Others which scoundrels. How is he gonna listen to the Beatles without emails? this is probably the worst part of this film arguably it's it's like which one you want to pick from but it's just like like they give them like okay well we got to make your eyes look japanese and all this oh god it's just like this shouldn't have been in the movie (laughs) there's no reason for it even later on when it gets to the action sequence it just all falls off all the makeup falls off and he's connery again it's just there's no reason for this whatsoever. Now, okay, so spies do actually do this, but they don't say, I need to take a wife with a face like a pig. <laughs> you know, that's, like, it, there's a way to do this and make it tactful. This isn't it. I mean, look at the Mission Impossible franchise. They've got lots of, like, Ethan's wearing, like, a fake mustache, and he's pretending to be a, a Russian agent or it, all these kind of things and they pull it off because it's just sort of like all right well it, it's not like you know flat out racist 
<laughs> and that's why it's just like, give him the toupee. Let's get this stuff and dye his skin. And he's oh, can't you just dye the parts that you can see and whatever? And oh, it's bad. And uh, so Tanaka's secret school isn't all that secret because an assassin breaks in, drips some poison down on a string, and it's meant to go into Bond's mouth, but it ends up going to Naki's, and she dies a very movie death of like, <gasps> ah, dead kind of thing. Yeah. But it's like, ah, oh, poor Aki. Yeah, it's uh, it's a shame that she had to go that way. But, uh, listen, I, sh- I do feel so bad for her, but then in the minutes that follow, where Bond clearly doesn't give a fuck at that point, yeah. <laughs> he, just see- he just sees, um, now, I-, I need to talk about this thing, because we obviously we're going to talk about the, um, uh, I'm trying to trying to remember her name actually off the top of my head. Kazi Suzuki. Uh, yeah, is she actually named at any point in this movie? She is not. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought because I basically am writing my notes and just saying Bond's wife, this woman, his cohort, <laughs> that sort of thing. Just because, like, I don't know who the fuck she is. Yeah, she's not named a single time in the movie. Yeah, and she's the main Bond girl. So it's like, <laughs> why didn't you just like? If it's one character in the books and you've got the one actress that is better at English than the other one, whatever. Mia Hamm is cute, whatever. Like they do this fake out where she doesn't have a face like a pig. It turns out, you know, this whole oh, there's this older woman and Bond's like whatever. And it's like, yeah, no, she's actually a you know, pretty. But like it really should have just been hockey. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know why you had to switch it over that. Maybe they felt like they had to give so, like have a sacrificial lamb to That's try and a... make the the mission a little bit more personal for Bond, but Bond doesn't care by that point because he's now just as like immediately after marrying um, Kissy, he's like in the room together and he's immediately trying to share a bed with her <laughs> and stuff like that. And she's like, "No, we're this is like professional." It's just like, and then he says, "Oh, I, I guess I won't need these then." He's going to be snacking on a load of oysters because he wants to get hard or whatever and stuff. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> okay, I don't need these anymore. <laughs> That sequence is fun, uh, funny too, because it's like, do you live here alone? Yes, my parents are dead. Oh, oysters! <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what these are good for? Uh, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Fuck these then. <laughs> like, it's like you were pretty into Aki not that long ago, and you're like laying down in bed with her, and she dies, and you're like, and she's dead. Anyway, you want to do some more training? Oh, that guy's with the kendo stick. He's got a blade on it. Oh, yeah, he almost tried to kill me. <laughs> kind of like Aki. Anyway, is this girl got a face like a pig or what? Like, it's just like, what the hell, man? All of this is just weird. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. it's at this point, I think we can say it's just the character trait, but the constant dismissal of every single woman it does get a little old. Like, you almost wish that he did take some of this shit personal. Sometimes they can play it off really well. There's a line in The Man with the Golden Gun that we'll talk about where... Eh, I I won't spoil it. But um, sometimes it's like, all right, you know, it is what it is. I know what the job is, and we'll move on, and, you know, you got to do that kind of a thing. But other times, like with this one, it's like... Oh, Aki, like, you know, you could be my wife and whatever like that. Oh, you're dead. Well, let's move on to the next one. Let's joke. Let's whatever. Even Tanaka's just sort of like, oh, man, like, Aki's dead. That's a shame. All right, well, 
You want some uh, something to eat? <laughs> you want some more sake? Yeah. But uh, Mr. Fisher earlier is now a fisherman, which is funny. And they go to the uh, volcano and for the whole remainder of the film, Kissy's in a bikini because, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Why not? Uh, Bond. This, this, this go ahead. This is the most bizarre thing because obviously there's a fisherman and she informs him of like a cave that like, a, a woman had gone out to and then she never returned from. She was killed. And so they head out over to there and there's like some gas that escapes from the thing. And so they have to swim away from it. So they completely lost their boat at this point. And I know, I know this is cutting through like a bit of the movie, so obviously you can backtrack if we need to. But essentially they climb up this mountain with her just wearing a bikini and some flat shoes. And like Bond's obviously fairly protected. He's not in like the most protective gear ever, but he's still like still wearing clothes let's put it that way and she's walking up this all these uh rocks and dirt and stuff like that and she's just wearing a bikini and then they fall over in the grass and they make out for a bit because now apparently she's interested in him again yeah. with no context behind that at all whatsoever but they have to stop because the helicopter flies over they go into the volcano they see what the issue is and then he tells her like uh, uh, once he's about to go in like i'm like go and get all tanaka's men and then we see her later on just swimming across the ocean. Yeah. It's like, we'd have no idea how far out they were from the mainland or that island and stuff like that. It's like, she's just swimming from one side of the ocean to the other to try and get these guys to come in. It's just, it's so ridiculous. It's, it's, oh, it's way, way, way too over the top. It defies all logic. Yeah. They try to shoot at her from a helicopter too. And then they're like, well, I guess we got her or something. And yeah. By the time that she, if it's at night and they move over and whatever, like, this would have taken such a long time. And why didn't they just have like some kind of, I don't know, uh, walkie talkies or something? Yeah. Or just, why didn't the, she have clothes? <laughs> yeah. And, and something that we haven't actually really referenced much because in fact it's the main plot point of the film. Um, their race gets the clock because the Americans are about to launch another spaceship into the air. And that's going to be swallowed whole by the rocket ship that got the first one and got also a, a Russian cosmonaut probe as well early on. So that's basically what they're racing up against is the fact that they're, again, going to capture more things. And they're trying to start a war, the Cold War, turn it into a hot war between the Russians and the Americans. Again. Like they did with, uh, yeah, for much with love. Well, I mean, that's and... their goal. Yeah, that's their goal, essentially. Yeah. They start. It's the start of the war between Russia and America and Spectre to try and reap all the profits from the outside of it. Yeah. Yeah. So we get our true introduction to Blofeld, who never blinks in the movie. Just one of those things. Is it, and, is it just to do with the makeup? Well, apparently the way that they did the makeup back then was they had some kind of a weird glue that shrunk his face and ended up bruising the hell out of him. Which <laughs> is like, that's great. Uh, Blofeld sucks. Yep, so bad. <laughs> yep, not not threatening. No, I mean he's in the not. previous ones he is because he's just this dude that's just sort of like I'm smarter than everyone, and I'm this threatening presence, even though I'm just a hand and a voice. And in this one, he's this creepy little dude with a cat that is freaked the fuck out. Throughout this whole sequence, to the point that the cat ran away, and they had to try to find it for a couple days, and it never was able to work again as like a you know uh, cat in like commercials and stuff. 
just ruined this dude's career. <laughs> oh, you can see shots of the, the Cappy. I'm like, get that fuck out of here. <laughs> I, it's, it's funny enough, it's not the worst Blofeld. Oh god, that's a uh, that's a uh... no. You say funny enough. I don't think you know what funny means. Because <laughs> yeah, the the worst Blofeld is the one that we're gonna get in Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> okay, well we'll get to we'll get to that then. But this one is just he's he got like Rob says he's completely non non intimidating. He is the worst kind of the Bond trope of oh we've got Bond here now and I could just shoot him in the stomach or something and be done with it but no we have to talk about him and have to keep him alive so he can see all this stuff happen in front of his eyes it's like ugh what a schmuck with the uh, hey can I have my cigarettes? yeah give him his cigarettes it won't be the nicotine that kills you Mr. Bond which uh, Osato should be happy about <laughs> yeah <laughs> he was uh, you know into the whole he does swing. like a healthy chest yeah I mean then Bond uses the cigarette gun to shoot down somebody and like try and deal with a few bits and pieces. Like he fights off everybody, he helps get the um Tanaka's men to get into positions so they can get into the base. And then like they catch Bond, they stop him by just pointing a load of guns at him, and then they still refuse to shoot him. Just yep. like <laughs> why keep him alive even longer? You've already messed up enough the fact that you've been completely infiltrated by a load of Japanese ninja infantry. And now you're just, okay, we'll still have to keep him alive, though. He still needs to have some sort of more painful death or anything like that. Even to the oh, point wow. where uh, he is pointing the gun at Bond and decides not to shoot him, but shoot Osato. So he could go into another room to point the <laughs> uh, gun at Bond <laughs> and try to shoot him. It's like, just shoot him then. Yeah, it's just so, it's just so bad. Cause it's just a case of, okay, if they were leading him to some sort of like, special torture device or something like that then fair enough or whatever but he just like he kills like you say he kills the starter and then he just sits down in a one of those little monorail pods yeah. and then he just points the gun at bond and says okay i'm just gonna shoot you now then instead and then he and he gets completely foiled by shuriken to the wrist <laughs> little shatter hand <laughs> yeah and now and now the entire base is completely infiltrated there's like again it's one of the big action scenes where it's like all the japanese infantry is killing blowfeld's men so there's a big big shootout they're kill yeah killing each other bond is completely impervious to everything suddenly enough uh, kissy's also impervious to everything considering in fact she's only wearing like a bikini in a battlefield essentially <laughs> just uh, yeah. you know this is really starting to feel like a bunch of dorks playing house <laughs> with one another <laughs> They're like, and then we got ninjas coming from the ceiling, and, and this one throws a grenade, and it's like, the other one's like, I got a gun now. And because <laughs> Blofeld's not intimidating, and he seems kind of like the whiny little bitch that's the head of the operation, just because I'm the smartest. And then you you have things with Bond, like we talked about with the you can only drink sake at ninety eight point four degrees. It's like, all right, are you the dork that tries to <laughs> force your way onto women because you're trying to prove that you're not a dork? This is really starting to feel like a, a very bizarre. We're all not cool, but look at how cool we're trying to be because we have ninjas and guns and gadgets. You know what this is in a different era? Bond puts on his um, fedora and he talks about oh, he, he talks about milady and how he is super into anime and he he knows japanese and he's got a katana <laughs> that's what it totally is he talks about the studio ghibli films and stuff yeah. like that 
got he's got and, 40 and million pokemon cards or whatever and they're all shinies <laughs> uh, i respect women and because of that you should fuck <laughs> right yeah uh it's oh uh, I, I have to mention something as well because i know we skipped over this thing but i just this thing just out of, uh, it shouldn't really have done but this thing out of everything just blew my mind so bonds he gets like infiltrates back behind the scenes like first of all he after all the gadgets and the like, <laughs> helicopter all the rocket stuff that like, he gets down into the base by using four suction cups yeah. on his <laughs> that's just like okay just... sure and then, then he's walking around and he's like hidden like he's uh, disguised as one of the um like henchmen and stuff like that he gets to um the prison cell where they're holding the astronauts and he, you overhear the conversation and like at that point the astronaut is asking something of the the cosmonauts at that point they say we call our astronauts cosmonauts and i'm supposed to fucking believe that in the number of days that they've been in prison there it hasn't been brought up at one point whatsoever <laughs> that the russian that the russian say cosmonauts instead of astronauts it's like, it's like fuck off that's completely too far for me like you can have your little yellow helicopter and stuff like that and you and you that that crosses the line a convertible that actually is a convertible for this movie no the the first thing the astronauts asked was probably something to do with cosmonauts and stuff like that. You're not telling me any differently. Or maybe they've just been having this discussion over and over again, and they're like, "Well, we call it fucking cosmonauts." <laughs> like, just kind of like, and then yeah, also, well, we call it astronauts, asshole. <laughs> yeah, and then also for some reason, the astronauts are like experts at hand-to-hand combat, as if that's part of like astronaut training to fight. Hey, off the you aliens. know what those fucking aliens are gonna do? <laughs> The oh. aliens might know Kung Fu, and we can't have that. Okay? In the in this uh, series, we're going to see later on that uh, hand-to-hand combat is good for astronauts with their laser guns. Because <laughs> we get laser guns. <laughs> and, uh, one of them just kind of disappears, though. Bond is with three of them, and then the next scene, he's just next to two of them. One of them, I don't know, whatever. And uh, we get a shit ton of ninjas descending from the ceiling, doing all this stuff. Again, we mentioned before, this uh, film has the highest body count by like a ridiculous amount. It's like 180 people get killed in this film or something, including Hans uh, with the piranhas. Now, here's a little funny thing. This is not the last time that we will see a tall, blonde haired German guy in a black shirt who no sells punches and gets taken out in some fashion that involves water. It's oddly specific, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of those elements, and you go, well, I mean, surely it, it, he's not blonde, or he's wearing a different color shirt, or he's not German, or he's not... Yeah, nah. <laughs> so they like this trope of tall, blonde-haired German in a black shirt who you can punch, and he just acts like it's nothing. Let's kill him in water. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen enough... We've seen enough to know what this like the burly meat puppet henchman that you have like the the one that's just there to pose the biggest physical intimidation to Bond. But Hans isn't involved in anything in this movie. No, like he's just there. Like he should have at least killed someone in this movie to make him feel like he's intimidating. Like could have just crushed someone's head with his bare hands or something like that, and that you feel like okay, that's that's going to be a real test for Bond if he ever comes to account with him. We don't know anything about this guy when he starts fighting. Uh, no, he's yeah. literally, hey, Hans. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, and then it's just like, and then he's just immediately thrown, like, uh, like it's a good body like, drop. minute fight sequence, but yeah, the back body dropped into the piranhas, so. 
So that was worth it. But you would think than Mimosa. <laughs> you would think of anything, the back body drop should happen with uh, Peter Maivia. <laughs> so everything blows up because, you know, that's how it works. Yeah. And Bond decides uh, he wants to go on the honeymoon. They'll never find him, even though there's a submarine directly underneath them. And at this point, it's just sort of like every film ends similarly. Dr. No, Bond and Honey Rider are on a raft. Uh, For Much With Love, Bond and Tatiana are on a gondola. Pussy Galore and Bond, eh, they're near the water. It's a little plane thing. It's a rescue type thing. Thunderball, you've got the raft and the plane. This one, the raft drops the uh, from the plane. Next film's going to be a massive departure from that, about a, as 180 degrees as you can get from this idea of the, that kind of a thing. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything about that, but uh, another sort of underwhelming, like, oh, that's what it is. Let's watch this terrible footage of a volcano uh, <laughs> erupting. Oh, that was so bad. The footage of the volcano. It's just... Oh, this movie. <laughs> I, you know what? It's not the best Bond film. I'll tell you that right now. But I enjoyed it for its stupidity. Like, Callum said this prior to getting on the air, that it was the most, the best unintentionally hilarious movie he's seen. And that's kind of where I land. I, I, I did. I messaged Tony about this. It's like this. It's, I, it's like I'm having a fever dream watching this movie. It's <laughs> just. It's. I, I can't hate. I can honestly hate on it a bit because it's just. I just don't think it's a good movie. But, but just use the fact that it's just. It's like the room. The room's a bad movie, but you still enjoy it by watching it because you're just laughing half the time. You're half. You're la- laughing half the time. You're cringing the other half. That's basically what this movie is. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> no. I rank it above Dr. No, though, because to me, it's fun. Above Dr. No, but it ain't going higher than that. To keep track of this, uh, I I have my spreadsheet up just because, yeah, I like spreadsheets and stuff. So at this point, Rob, you've got Dr. No is your least favorite. And You Only Live Twice is the fourth. How did you rank the other ones? Uh, Goldfinger was the best from Russia with Love and Thunderball. Okay, and Callum, you are where are you gonna put uh, you want to live twice in this? Um, I think I'm gonna put it last, just below from Russia with Love. It's close <laughs> between the two of them because, again, I, I'm a huge uh critic of the entire central romance plot in the from russia with love i think this is more fun than that movie but it's just too over the top for me (laughs) and it's too racist as well (laughs) uh on the spectrum of the other kinds of things that we've we've talked a lot about about here and there or whatever but uh the humor it's funny it's unintentionally funny yeah (laughs) it's not funny in the right way but it's funny (laughs) but but there are spoofs versions of like the bomb from the bomb franchise that are less funny than this movie is yeah yeah you guys said it perfectly the parts that are supposed to be funny aren't as funny it's the laughing at the oh god oh no why are they doing that kind of thing yeah uh the action i think that uh rob kind of summed it up best you don't know if it's good or if it's terrible or if it's terribly good (laughs) 
I, I because of the way I'm categorizing this, I'll say it's good because it fits the spoof film variety. Yeah, I can't say that it wasn't entertaining. It's again just way, way, way too over the top, but it is entertaining. The allies which are mostly Aki, Tiger Tanaka, and Kissy Suzuki. Uh, I guess Henderson, too. Uh, we have the one scene of Bernard Lee's M, and we have Q, and we have Money Penny. But um, to me, this is the worst of the Money Penny and M type of stuff. Well, the M thing, not not all that bad. I mean, like I like how they burn the little message or whatever. But the Money Penny thing, it's it's a downgrade. And M is just M. Q is mostly just Q. It's not the best with them, at the very least. No. I I, I do like Tanaka. I like I Tanaka. Is, yeah, he's he's good. He's a charming character. I thought Tanaka was a lot of fun, but this is my least favorite so far of the regulars. And the oh, girls? The money. Okay. Oh, God. No, no. Ah, that was going to say, the money penny interaction was very cold and this wasn't the best cue and yeah i just not a fan of the way the regulars interacted in this movie and the girls uh again the money penny thing we looped into that but um it's aki and it's kissy suzuki and well like ling but ling doesn't really count well Br- brant's in there as well because she's a towel girl so yeah uh i i like aki I don't have any real opinion about Kissy because she's just not even really like serving a purpose. She's yeah. kind of just there to be a girl for him to have uh, at the end. And that's literally what they did in the movie. That's part of the quote bond formula that they told him to write, which was you need a femme fatale who gets killed a- an ally who gets killed and a girl for him to end up with. So that's why he did that, which is a shame because they really, it should have just been Aki. And really, Helga Brandt shouldn't have even existed. No. Yeah, there's a, yeah, it's a it's a poor overall effort. I think it's like Aki's great, but doesn't it's it's hurt by the fact that she's not the one that's the final uh, Bond girl. Uh, Kissy's just a bit of a non-entity, and yeah, uh, Brandt is a really really awful copy of the um of uh, Fiona from the previous movie. So yeah, downgrade for this one. Yeah, I would say downgrade overall. I really like Docky though, that, but that might just be personal preference. Docky on my current rankings, because I'm ranking as we're going along, and I I did a ranking beforehand, and I've been ranking as I'm going along here to see if maybe my opinions change based off of the original one that I had done. Uh, Aki for me right now is. Around the range of uh, Domino and Paula from Thunderball. She's a little bit underneath uh, Pussy Galore. Um, but I like her. She's one of the, the better ones. Kissy is towards the, the very end. She's underneath like uh, Pat Fearing for me. Because she really just doesn't have like any real agency or purpose or anything. She's above the Gypsy Girls. Give her that, you know. But no, come on, they settle it in a jitsu way, though. Yeah, <laughs> it does need to become a thing. 
And as far as the villains go, like we had said, uh, there's Hans, who doesn't serve a purpose. He's not a thing. Uh, Helga Brandt just sucks in comparison. I like Osato for what he's used for, but he's not great compared to, like, I mean, you get, like, Fiona, an odd job, and Red Grant. Even Professor Dent, I think I'd rank above these for, like, the henchmen. Yeah, yeah, the henchmen, I think the villains, especially across the entire movie, are just so inert and so easily disposed of by Bond. They don't feel like that any of them hold any sort of challenge for him. Yeah. Again, completely inept. And I'm I'm actually going to look it up and see if this is all part of just a bigger way to bury the Japanese because of the culture of the world at the time. And the main villain... We got Blofeld in two other movies, and my current ranking for the main villains right now, I've got Blofeld from From Us With Love at number one, Blofeld from Thunderball at number two, Rosa Klebb, Goldfinger, Emilio Largo, and then I'm like, well, Doctor knows better than this Blofeld. <laughs> this is the worst yeah. uh, villain so far out of the main villains. Yeah, really, really bad. He doesn't have the excuse that he doesn't have hands. Yeah, <laughs> at least that with uh, Dr. No, it's like, well, I don't have these hands and whatever, but he's he got pretty, a... He does pretty good for a guy with no hands. <laughs> yeah. I like the scar, but Blofeld is just... Uh, Donald Pleasance isn't a bad actor, but he does a bad job in this. And he's but not genuinely, threatening. Genuinely, and again, a lot might, might, might be considered facetious and stuff like that. I think Mike Myers' Doctor Evil is more intimidating than this guy looks. <laughs> you know, there's an argument that can be made for that, I'll, for sure. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Especially when he gets angry. The whole, like, with sharks with freaking laser beams or whatever. Be like, all right, I, I buy more into that guy being a... Yeah. Did you see... Yeah, did you see him in, like, the... Um, in prison? God, that was a tough guy. <laughs> uh, so that's the girls. Uh, let's talk about the gadgets. We've got... Primarily, it's just the helicopter. There's not too much else. Yeah, it's the helicopter and the cigarette gun. It's a cigarette gun. There's like the trap door and, you know, some little things here and there. But there's a, a shitty little wood plank in the airplane. And four suction cups. Yeah, <laughs> the suction cups. Uh, the The plane, the helicopter thing is like... I don't want to say that it's like it's one of the worst... Because I don't think that it is, especially when you get to like, you know, the other movies where it's like, oh, he's got a, a gun. Okay, that's great. And Dr. No, but it's nowhere near high up on my list. I love lots of people love the little uh, little Nelly. It's not my thing. It, it's fun. And it's like it's got a lot of the, the useful gadgets that you'd see in like a lot of the cars and stuff like that. It just for me, it's totally unfit for purpose. So that's what my issue is with it. I'd like at least a semblance of logic in some of the gadgets that he has. Yeah. I I got nothing there. I, I agree with everything Callum said. I don't always want to have to repeat what I'm saying. <laughs> Music wise, 
I I like a lot of the music in this actually. Uh, I do like some of the Japanese music that they're like Japanese inspired music. I like the score from the scenes where they're uh, stealing the ships. I love You Only Live Twice. Yeah, You yeah. Only Live Twice is iconic. The music in the movie, I'm a little indifferent towards it. Obviously, they were going with the Japanese inspired feel. Not my favorite take on that, but also not the worst. Yeah, I liked the. Um, obviously, I'm a big fan of the opening theme. When yeah, and uh, I like the little interpretations they did a bit throughout the movie in certain bits and pieces. And unlike Tony, I'm a fan of the music that they play during the um, the helicopter fight scene. So, so yeah, overall, it was thumbs up for me on the score from. They did a good thing in this where they didn't play the Bond theme in scenes that made no sense. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, that's obviously that's obviously an advantage. He's not like, uh, oh, Saki is ninety-eight point four. It's just kind of like, <laughs> I'm just gonna make a coffee. Bam, <laughs> <laughs> but that ultimately brings us to the ultimate rating, which I guess in this one should it be stirred, not shaken? Is that how <laughs> we should do? It? Yeah, I think I think this is a stirred one for me. <laughs> it's very stirred. It's very fitting for Henderson. That's the, yeah, that's the uh, that was the right <laughs> way around, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Uh, I love it for how it's terrible good it is. According to some critics, what do you mean? It's very good according to some critics. It's weird. This is a movie that at one point in time I thought was one of the better ones, and then I was just like, I you know, I grew up and realized how bad it is, and then I was like, oh wow, no, this is actually really, really bad. Well, like, yeah, it's uh, one of those movies that. I'm not going to say as a kid or whatever, but as someone who's a bit less um, wised up or anything like that, or doesn't have a huge repertoire of movies behind it, it's just like, this is very action-packed, and it doesn't like hold in any places for too long and stuff like that, so it does keep the, the narrative going. So you, you don't get bored watching this movie at any point yeah. in time. You just get offended eventually. <laughs> yeah. Structurally, like the movie isn't as bad or as boring as some other ones. Like Doctor No is a harder watch for sure, just because it's you know it's flat and whatever. This just happens to be a movie that if they were to tweak a couple things and not do some other things, it'd be a better film. And you know, maybe do a couple more takes of certain scenes for the acting is a little bit wooden, like the Money Penny scene, or you know, recast a couple people maybe like Blofeld or yeah. You know, I think if you do a rewrite of this movie. And they do in some ways, because this is a this is a structure that you get in a lot of other Bond films. Like I mentioned before, the whole like you start off with the villains stealing something and Bond is going to track them down and he's going to go to a different country and he's going to meet these people and whatever. Like The Spy Who Loved Me is very similar to this. And Moonraker is a carbon copy of The Spy Who Loved Me. And there's some kind of copyish elements for Tomorrow Never Dies and there's some for some other and I think that those movies just do it a little bit better and a little less offensive. <laughs> that's Only fun, a little though. less. That's not great. No great uh, foreshadowing. Well, I mean, we haven't gotten to uh, Live and Let Die but Live and Let Die has its moments yet there's not as many. It just happens to be a couple of those moments are sort of like Okay, now that's the one that we're going to have an issue with. <laughs> like, you know, let's move over to this culture and make ourselves look a gasses. <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, you only live twice. Uh, it, it's 
it has its place. It's a hell of a fun movie. <laughs> and um, definitely one of the ones that I was most excited to talk about. The uh, yeah, the the whole notes that I've got are uh, knocked out of any other kind of things you guys have in mind. No, I think I'm pretty much covered as much as I can. There's obviously a lot you can run down in that movie, but I think, I think, I think, especially with the cinematography and stuff like that. But I think I've pretty much covered all of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I will say. The one thing that came to mind was this might be the first Austin Powers film. And I I said that a few times, and I think really after this discussion, it holds up. <laughs> I think this was the unofficial first Austin Powers movie. It's a shame that they don't have that do-do-do-do-do-do-do kind of song that they do in the Austin Powers films, though. Could have just put that in a couple of... <laughs> so uh you know we did some plugs here ahead of time as i said you know many times before we're going to run through all the films in this and you know hopefully you are joining us for this whole thing and if you want more in some other kind of capacity i don't really know how else we can add more to what we're doing but if you do drop a comment below tell us your thoughts head up to patreon that way you can sponsor some things like that going forward in particular, like you know, we've talked about the idea of maybe doing like Johnny English movies or something. You know, you could always take advantage of the Pick Your Poison tier if you want to make sure that we do that stuff. But my plugs for the fanboy stuff is mostly out of the way. Let's talk a little bit about the other things we got going on. I've got my pro wrestling site, Smart Out Moment, which a lot of you probably are familiar with. If you're not, and maybe you're if you're a fan of uh, Peter Maivia and you're into the pro wrestling stuff, go to smartoutmoment.com and check out everything that's happening over there. Check out the Smack Talk podcast and listen to what other stuff that me and these two guys get into on a regular basis. They in- also include uh, the podcast that mostly, uh, well, mostly, I only did one, uh, Rob and Callum are responsible for, which is the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast. So if you want to hear more of Rob and Callum, not just on the hot tags and you know, the Royal Rumble pay-per-view and the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view and different things that we've got going on there. They've got that podcast. Tell them a little bit about that, Callum. Yeah, so if you're a fan of um, retro wrestling and what you mean like in the early 2000s, uh, we go back, me and Rob, to the year 2002 and 2003 uh, on SmackDown where Paul Heyman was the head writer for and we review every single episode under his tenure. Uh, right now we're heading into episode 33, which is heading into... Uh, no Way Out 2003, which we'll also be doing a review on on the Smart Cow Moment Patreon at the $10 tier or above. But on this one, you can look forward to a tag team championship match, a main event with Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle, um, some more stuff involving a crate and The Undertaker and The Big Show. There's plenty of stuff to look forward to on that series. And obviously check out all the great articles on smartcowmoment.com and follow me on Twitter at wikimaster14. Yeah, and you can check me out on all of those great things, as well on other Fanboys Anonymous podcasts like the Mulan. Maybe we'll be reviewing some DC stuff in the future. You can also mostly check me out in the wrestling spectrum over on Fightful.com. I'm occasionally over at Wrestling.com as well. I might give Twitch a try soon. Stay tuned for that. I don't know when this drops. Maybe that'll be a thing. It'll be so, like mid-February, I think is when I'm going to yeah, be posting this. Yeah, I mean, I may be on Twitch, so just follow me on Twitter at Dude Felice and just click around. 
and um, I think that's about it. Uh, I you know have all my stuff going on. You can follow me under a mango tree uh, and at Tony Mango, and pretty much just stay tuned because we got plenty coming your way. Because this podcast will return with on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Thank <laughs> you.